Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. and blue and we're back with another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, Canada's longest running soccer podcast. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Philippe Ojeho. And it's just the, the two of us this week. Zach, unable to make the show, he's a busy lad, but we're a Whitecaps-centric show, so I thought it was better anyway to have the man that has watched the Whitecaps at all levels over the course of the season, just to do our kind of brief Whitecaps end-of-season chat. So we'll look at how the season went, we'll look at what went well, what didn't, some key areas of improvements that's needed... We'll hand out the first of our AFTN end-of-season awards. We'll look at some of the Whitecaps news this week and we'll bring you some audio from Axel, Vanny, Ryan Gold and Brian White just as to what they can take away from the season. So all of that is to come over the next couple of hours. Just to start things off though, Felipe, how has your week been or how, how has it been since uh, the last time you were on the show in, in general? Good. Uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind of a time now with, you know, the season ending. This is my first proper, you know, off season now in the in the biz. Uh, just trying to keep busy, trying to do things, continue to create content over coast to coast and finding different uh, places that I can continue to write for. And uh, I also, and I actually haven't told you this, but I got a coaching gig uh, this past weekend. Oh, wow. For- uh, division four uh, VMSL team uh, and uh, yeah it happened really quickly and I became a head coach and we had our first training session yesterday went really well and uh, yeah it's, we get gear and everything but yeah super exciting time so more things that I can uh, do in the meantime to better my knowledge and uh, this time from a coaching perspective uh, but yeah just trying to keep living the, that football life fantastic what's the team uh, the Burnaby Spartans B team. The A team's in the third division. Yes. The, the B team is in the fourth division, and I am uh, their uh, new head coach. Well, I think I might find my way out for some of our video coverage for our YouTube channel at some point this season. I'll stand right oh, behind I love you that. and heckle you. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I, I did... wonder if they'll hear you over me screaming at them. They already found out quite quickly I'm a loud, <laughs> I'm a loud coach. 
Oh, I I cannot wait to see what you like on the sideline. That was going to be tremendous. I'll, and is it Burnaby Lake that you play out of? Or? It's SFU. It's at uh, oh, uh, the wow. turf field. I forget what it was called. Field four, um, is it? Possibly? I think so. If it's it, that it, one, yeah, the Whitecaps it, used to play all the residency games up there. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know so that. You're, you are like on the pitch where the likes of Sam Arakugby Ben Fisk, Marco Carducci all came through and we used to go and watch them all play up there. Oh, oh, it was Terry Foxfield. That's where it is. Yes. There you go. Oh, but, Terry, Fox, yeah. Terry Foxfield's the main stadium turf. Is it? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's just outside of it then. I have to, I have to figure... Oh, you are right. That is the main stadium turf. I have to figure out where it is since I'm going to have to be oh. coaching well, I was going to say, if you're weekend. playing at Terry Foxfield, that's fantastic because you're going to have a grandstand and everything. Oh, well, hopefully. I mean, I wish. I hope so. Oh, well, we'll, we'll keep tracking that for sure. Also, just to clarify, because you're Colombian, and when you mentioned you get lots of gear, we're talking football kits and football kits. Yes. Yeah. Yes, right. yes. Just important to clarify that. <laughs> just I've seen the documentaries and everything like no, that. No, no, no. Don't worry. I was going to ask. All above board. I was going to ask, actually, how you were keeping busy, because I know it is your first, like, off-season and... You've been so busy over the year, writing CPL, writing Whitecaps at all levels, and th- this will obviously now keep you busy over the, the off-season. Yeah, for sure, and I'm super excited that I get to... I've always wanted to go into coaching, and now that I have the opportunity, and I'm happy that it's at a men's level, because mm-hmm. that's sort of the level that I wanted to be able to coach at, because I'm more of a bigger picture kind of guy with tactics, and not so much like working on the fundamentals thing, so I'm glad that I'm working with a team that pretty much got that down, and now is just focusing on how to play in a new formation, how to play in these new roles and stuff like that, so it's a, a lot of fun to to try to get into that already. Fantastic. Well, talking at SFU, I, I was watching their game. Sadly, both the men and the women bounced out of the first round of the NCAA Division Two National Tournament last week. I was all I was looking forward to the women getting through. I was going to go down on Saturday and watch them in the second round because that was my birthday, and I thought I'd have a trip to Seattle for the weekend, go and see that. But sadly, lost on penalties after being the better team in the game. But they missed all four of their penalties. I don't think I've seen that in a shootout before. Hmm, no. That was a, that was a tough way to go go out. But I, I learned something from watching it. And I, I don't know how much college soccer you've watched or what you know, but this just baffles me. For the penalty shootout, teams nominate any 10 players from the roster. They don't have to have played a single minute in the preceding match to be able to take a penalty in the shootout. And I just find that so weird. Yeah, I I saw that someone explained that to you on Twitter. Yeah. And or X or whatever it's called. And I was also baffled. I also would not do that because I think historically yeah. we've seen that when players come on specifically to take a penalty, I think more often than not, because they're not warmed up and mm-hmm. because it's all pressuring in this one moment, they tend to miss. Yeah. So well, they, the other um, team had two players that did it and one missed and one scored. And obviously it didn't matter because they said if you missed all theirs, but yeah, it's like you're throwing them in cold and the first thing they've got to do is just walk up from the halfway line to put the ball down the spot and then take a kick cold. Yeah. Yeah. I think mentality wise, it's, it's tough to, 
to justify that when you know that that's their whole job and if they screw it then they screwed the, their entire job up yeah it, it was funny as well because it was a california team so the the california girls were all wrapped up in their big heavy jackets before their kicks because it was in seattle so to them it was obviously cold but I want to give a big shout out anyway to both the SFU teams. The women had a fantastic run, winning their first GNAC championship, getting to the national tournament. Great performance from them, knocked off a couple of big guns on the way to get to that tournament. And a very bright future, Carlo Basso, who I used to watch up at SFU as a player, interim head coach with the women, clearly going to get the head coach's gig there. Watch him week in, week out, playing for Coquitlam Metroford and VMSL as well. And it's just great talking about coaches and you starting off in coaching. He's had that rise to, mm. to get this and what a fantastic first season. Maybe you can emulate that and get your team promoted in your first season. That's, I mean, that's the goal. Uh, the, well, that's the right great now. thing about VMSL, it's promotion relegation. Yeah, it's true. That's I think that's the the long term goal. Though right now the first place team uh, is not only undefeated, but they've only won the first ten games. They've won every single game in the first ten games. D so likely not yeah. going to finish first. Div four is a bit like that. Div four and div three. There's there's usually teams that just run away with it, and they're just mm. too strong for everyone else because they've got bigger plans and they want to move up the the ranks as quick as possible. But yeah, wish you all the the very best. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday lunchtime, I've spent watching East Fife play a Scottish League 2 game at Bonnie Rig Rose through the wonders of technology. I can sit at home watching my team play absolute garbage football and be warm, whereas everyone else that I know was complaining about how cold it was there. And they've got a journey home. I just had to turn the stream off, which mercifully ended early because the camera ran out of battery. Mm, silver linings. Yeah. I'm assuming we lost 4-2. There was only a couple of minutes of stoppage time to go. It's going to be ironic if I check now and we had a big 5-4 victory and I missed three goals. <laughs> but Anyway, that's, that's how I've been keeping busy. The Whitecaps will be keeping busy sooner rather than later as well because pre-season is going to get underway earlier for them. The draw comes up next month for the CONCACAF Champions League and then depending if they're in the first bit of the draw or the second bit of the draw is going to dictate when they come back for pre-season training but they could be back for pre-season training in about six weeks at this rate yeah I think uh, if they get the earlier one which is beginning of February then they'll be in by mid-January and and already it's it's already focusing on next season that and I think, you know, even at the end of the season, they're already in that mode. Like mm -hmm. they had a little bit of time to mourn the missed opportunity, but then immediately they were focusing on next season. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they have to start even quicker than they initially expected. Yeah, I think a lot of the players, they'll welcome obviously a break, but then they're going to want to just get straight back into it. It's going to be weird as well for the CPL teams as to how that draw plays out. Because if any of them, you have to imagine at least one is going to be in that first bit of the draw in the earlier start. That's a long wait then before the CPL season gets underway as well. Yeah, I think uh, with the CONCACAF Champions Cup being the way it is, I wouldn't be surprised if the Canadian Premier League tries to do something in, in, in between, maybe like a friendly tournament, just something like that where it gets the eight teams in, just a quick like 
you know, like almost like a playoff format, but very mm. just just kind of like as a preseason warm up thing before the season starts, because not only are there is there a big gap between the season bigger than even in the MLS, but like you said, there's a few teams that are playing earlier on and then they just have to go cold for three, four mm-hmm. weeks before the season starts. I feel like there needs to be something done there and, and have them play a little bit more to warm up for the season. That'd be fun. Bring them all out here in BC. Nice weather. Get them out Langley. Because mm. it saves a ferry trip to the island as well. And then, obviously, we're selfishly looking that that would be a wonderful thing. I would, I've would i I've been pushing for something like that. I remember asking David Clanahan about having a pre-season tournament similar to the island games. And he mm. was kind of all for it. But... Some of the coaches were like, eh, we'd rather just have different opposition so we're not giving things away before the season mm. starts. And I mean, it's always tough. But we're not talking CPL in the show. We're talking Whitecaps, all three parts. It's going to be all Whitecaps-centric. And we're going to start off in this part just by a brief recap of the Whitecaps 2023. They won the Canadian Championship for the second straight year, the third time altogether. They won their seventh Cascadia Cup, not as I've written in the rundown here, MLS Cup, which I've just realised I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure what I was thinking about in that case. That would be amazing if we're talking about the Whitecaps winning uh, This would their... be a completely different episode. <laughs> wow. Ah, maybe just thinking ahead to next year or in seven years' time. But in yeah, they've won their seventh thinking, Cascadia yeah. Cup, which is very different to the MLS Cup in that it basically counts for nothing but bragging rights. That was their fourth Cascadia Cup of the MLS era. They qualified for the playoffs for the second time under Vanny's helm. They made the second round of the League's Cup after getting through on the group stages. Two good showings against a couple of Mexican giants in Leon and Tigris, just losing out in penalties. They lost in the quarterfinals to the in the Champions League to LAFC, their like bogey team for, for this year. When you look back at it, Felipe, it's, it's been a pretty darn good season. Yeah, I think especially when you consider the expectations going into it at the beginning of the season in the way that it uh, lad the season prior, 2022 ended, you were hoping that they were going to improve, but I don't think people were expecting them to go as far as they did in a lot of these competitions, especially the fact that there were so many competitions. It was mm. a bloated schedule because of League's Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, Canadian Championship, and MLS. The fact that they managed to still go strong throughout most of the season, sure, they had lulls here and there, but for them to continue to actually perform and be able to win the Cascadia Cup and win the Canadian Championship, go pretty far in League's Cup and face some really good Mexican teams and then give, you know, a a really memorable uh, tie against LAFC. I think that's a it's a a pretty good year. And I think a lot of people will take it the positives and hope to see it build for 2024. Yeah, I think Vanny tasked seeing an improvement. And his big task was to win a playoff game, which they didn't quite get to that stage. But I I think we can certainly say it it was an improvement 
year on year from 22 to 23 and we have to see that again now from 23 to 24 that's the minimum expectation there has to be a, a an improvement it's what every football club looks for it's what every football fan looks for if if we look at the the MLS side of it sixth in the west 12 wins which was the the same as last year 12 draws which was five more than 2022 and 10 defeats, which was five less, obviously, than last year. So if, if you're being basic about it, they turned around five games from defeats to draws. Now what they need to do is turn some of those other defeats into draws and turn some of those draws into victories. Hmm. Yeah, and I think a huge thing is defensively, I've seen that they have improved that allowed them to not sort of give away those draws or those losses and and be able to convert them into draws. But once again, through some periods of the season, it felt like the attack has been a little toothless, especially at the beginning. I think the first half of the season, we were all talking about expected goals and how the Whitecaps were high in expected goals, but were not anywhere near uh, in actual goals. And I think that is something that Benny will definitely want to try to work on in this new season. And they brought in a big number nine strikers, a DP didn't really work out, had to rely on Brian White, who to be fair, had the best season of his career. So even still, it was a marked improvement and he got a lot of important goals. Of course, Ryan Gold got a lot of important goals, but they need to be able to find more, I think, of those clutch moments to try mm-hmm. to not only nick a draw like Simon Betcher against Minnesota in Minnesota in the last minute, but to nick a win. I think that's a quality that I see a lot in champions is when they're maybe not playing the best and they are drawing a game that they should be losing or, you know, they're losing, then they turn around one, two goals because purely because of their quality and then they get a win from out of nothing. And that's something that I feel like will help them turn some of those draws into wins and even more losses into draws or wins in 2024. Yeah, that that's certainly going to be a key. Depth is going to be a key. We'll get into to some of that in this episode as well. The, the team needs to to strengthen. But we, we, we saw signs like if we're looking at goals, in, in MLS alone, 55 goals for. So it was 15 more than last year. Now, looking at the scorers last year, across all competitions in 2022, Lucas Cavallini had nine goals, and all of them came in the MLS. And when I was looking at these stats, I genuinely thought Cava was b- before last year. It just seemed so long ago that he was with the club. We seemed to have just really moved on from him. I was like, oh, yeah, it was just last year that we had Cava. Yep. And it's, it's felt like a lifetime already. Yeah. And not doing so good in, in Mexico. Getting that call up into the Canadian camp. A lot of folk weren't happy to see that. There's murmurs. Could he come back to MLS with John Herdman mm. in Toronto? I would love to see that because I don't think it's going to go well if he does. Yeah, I think that would just be completely on brand for TFC and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he got he led the team last year with nine. Gold had eight, and again, all of his goals were in MLS. And Brian White only had seven. 
four of them in MLS and three of them in the Canadian Championship. So you fast forward 12 months, in 2023, White in MLS alone, 15 goals, 5 assists. Gold, 11 goals, 12 assists. But then you've got a big drop-off. Simon Betcher, 4 goals. Pedro Vitti, 4 goals. Assist-wise, Julian Gressel had 5 assists and he obviously left just past the halfway point of the season. There's a big reliance on white and gold. And Mm. I think one of the things for this team to take the next step is they've got to get somebody else that is performing so that you're not just relying on them because they weren't fully clicking in the playoffs. And you looked around and you're like, I don't know who's going to step up then if they're not. Yeah. And I think specifically in the tie against LAFC, you there's where you start to see the real differences between a white caps and, and an LAFC where I think when both teams are playing at their very best, it's a very even, even fight. And we've seen that across large parts of these games and we face them so many times, but at the end of the day, LAFC, their depth is where their strength is. And yes, Dennis Buanga, the way the form he's on mm-hmm. everything he shoots, he scores. But even when he isn't the one scoring, you see other players stepping up. You see other players in that in that game. We didn't see Carlos Vela in the last game at BC Place. We didn't see Carlos Vela or Giorgio Chiellini start the game. And those are two huge names. And they still had the depth to be able to get the job done. And I think for the Whitecaps, they not only need to find good depth because they have some decent players off the bench, some good utility players that kind of bring a different energy and a different dynamism to the team but you need to find a few of those players that you can rely on for big moments and that's where you know the big money comes in comes in that's why you pay big bucks is for these players that can deliver in those big moments where you know chips are down and and you're struggling to get a goal and either you're trailing or it's nail nail and things are getting tense and then you bring this player on and he it manages to to nick a goal and and flip the whole script on how the night has been. And for a little while, it seemed like Simon Betcher was mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it was on that 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 little scoring streak. His his goals per minute ratio was off the charts, and it looked like he was that kind of you know that uh, uh, that Joker card that you put throw in at the very end to kind of change the whole the situation. You get a goal. But he's still young. He still needs a bit more consistency, maybe a bit more playing time. He can't do that, you know, on a, a week-to-week basis. I think for the Whitecaps in recruiting, they need to find those players that if a Brian White or a Ryan Gold isn't performing to their very best and they're struggling, you put this player on and he'll make up for all three. The, the thing with Betcher was fascinating because he started so strongly. I was thinking, oh, he's going to be like in line for some MLS awards if he keeps this scoring rate. I'm thinking, have we found our Jordan Morris, a young mm. guy that's going to be like lighting it up? And then I, I don't know what happened, Tim. And it's something come our end of season chat with, with Vanny. I'd love to get his thoughts as to what happened to, to Betcher. Why were the minutes getting reduced? How much of it was, well, we have to play Sergio Cordova. He's our DP. We need to get him up to speed 
And did that take away, perhaps, from Simon Betcher's playing time? Yeah, I think that's definitely a real possibility. You know, at the end of the day, if you are paying, you know, seven figures for a player and he's just not playing and you're playing a young kid who's on, I don't know, minimum minimum uh, salary, you are going to want to try to get your money's worth from the big striker. And they were wanting him to get back up to speed. And it was sort of around the same time where Betcher was finding that purple patch. And I do think that the timing isn't necessarily a coincidence. And I think if Cordoba wasn't there from the beginning and Simon Betcher was still doing that purple patch, I think he probably could have kept it going. I don't think for the rest of the season, but maybe for a little bit longer, having a bit more consistency in his play and being able to familiarize himself more with all of these different opponents, not just in the last few minutes, but you know, you face these guys not just once a year, you face them a few, or in case of LAFC, five times a year, and and you start to realize what you can do in certain situations to be more effective. And when you don't have that much playing time, you kind of just go with what your gut tells you and what the coach tells you. And you're lacking a little bit of that experience. I think the timing of uh, Sergio de Cordova coming back in and trying to be more of that number nine that we all wanted to be and Simon Betcher's form kind of tailing off. I think it uh, one has to do with the other. The other thing as well, and I'll, I'll throw Levante Johnson into the mix here because he looked really good. He got his MLS deal and then he started to see less minutes as well. I think that hit the Whitecaps a little bit come the postseason because you were looking then, oh, we need something that's going to change the game. We need someone that can come on and do something, as you just said. But you've got those two guys that's out of form, and then you've got Junior Hoylet that just did not hit the Junior Hoylet levels that we know he can hit. So whoever is going to be like the second stroke third striker next year they have to manage those minutes. They have to make sure that they're hot and that they get proper time. And Vanny spoke a little bit about that in the goalkeeping situation even with mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have played Johi in all the games and maybe let Isaac get a few more games. But it's the same in the striker. There's going to be games where, yeah, you need to rest Brian White. You need to get somebody else that's going to try and and, and get hot again. And there's certainly enough competitions to do that. Yeah, and I think obviously Vanny admitted that that that's something that he learned. And I can sort of understand that when you have a good thing going, it's hard to drop players that are in form, even if the schedule is quite uh, packed. Because if there's a little bit of a drop off of a level, especially in the way that the Whitecaps play, that's very, very system based. If you don't have the players the best players in the in those positions you feel it a lot more than in other systems that are not so focused on the system but maybe more on, on a different kind of playing style because it's so focused on those system that they play even a little bit of drop in quality from one of the those positions becomes much more transparent and i think for vanny it, it's it's tough to be you know willing to sacrifice that just for fitness Especially mm. since most players, I would assume, aren't saying, yeah, I'll take a break. Most players are like, no, I'm ready. And so yeah. with the players want revving to go and they want to play as many games as they can, 
obviously it becomes even harder because then it's up to you. And if you don't want to fix what isn't broken, then you risk it wearing down and wearing down until it becomes a, a little bit tired in the way that we saw at the end of the season. Last thing just to mention in terms of goal scoring and strikers, just to touch on Sergio Cordova, because we haven't spoken too much about him oh, since he, he left or, or him leaving just in general. I just had a look just now. He's made eight appearances in Superliga in Turkey. He's only got one goal in those eight appearances as well. So he's mm. he's not hitting the levels that I'm sure that they then hoped when they were signing him as well. He had four for the Whitecaps, two in Leagues Cup, two in MLS. It looked like he was getting a little bit of a, a streaky run going. The weight was off his back. I mean, why do you think that just did not work out? I think it was just the timing of everything. And I think, I mean, this is something that a lot of MLS teams will probably deal with is that, you know, when you're signing players in January, depending on where you're signing them from, if you're signing them straight from Europe, then they're in they're in the right form. But if you're signing uh, a player, like I know Sergio Cordova was with Real Salt Lake the year before and then on loan and then went back to Augsburg. I don't think he featured all that much for Augsburg. So he was out of form. Bringing him so late in the preseason barely had any time in preseason before the season started. And because the season was so go, go, go because of how bloated it was from the very beginning. I don't think he ever got really into form. I don't think he ever really got settled. Obviously there is a language barrier there and Vanny speaks perfect Spanish, but maybe with the other players, obviously there were some Colombians and some Latinos there, but still, I just don't think he really got all that acquainted. And from what little I spoke with him, he seems like a very quiet, reserved person. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of the background stuff that happened just never really clicked with him and the club as much as both I know him and Vanny and the full the staff and the team wanted it to click. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And if the what you're you know the eight matches and one goal in Turkey, maybe in Turkey it's not working out either. And he has to try to find a place where he can properly settle. Maybe finding a new team in the summer where uh, he can have a full preseason if it's in Europe with a European team properly settle with them, and then hopefully kick on and and give the show people the form that he showed uh, with, uh, you know, Real Salt Lake at the very end of, of the last season where he, he looked like a dangerous number nine. Yeah, I mean, I wish him all the best. He's gone to a team in uh, Alanjapur in Turkey that are also struggling just now. Mm -hmm. They're in the, the relegation spots. So mm -hmm. that's not going to help. And like, I've been to Turkey. It's a lovely country. The folk are so friendly. They love football. But they, there's very little room for errors there because the fans are on you constantly if you're not performing. And it's going to be a big culture shock for him there as well. But, I mean, hopefully he can find the ideal landing place. He's certainly not the worst striker that we've had in the Whitecaps MLS era. He, he's up near the top 10, he's, he's certainly in that, especially DP-wise, which is always that new stranger neck as well. And as soon as mm. the guy comes in as a DP, folk just expect more from it. But 
there was only five games in MLS this year that the Whitecaps didn't score. And that was three better than last year. So again, some improvement signs there. The other end of the pitch, eight clean sheets, which was one less than last year. Hmm. Which, when I, I double-checked that, because I was like, wow, that's interesting, because it just feels the defence was so much better this year. Hmm. And yeah. you look at it, and last year, we gave up 57 goals in MLS, 48 this year, so it was nine less. The goal difference in 2022 was minus 17. The goal difference this year was plus seven. If you're going to be in minus goal difference, you're not really going to be troubling deep in the playoffs. But to have plus seven, you've always got a shot. So it was a good turnaround. That said, though, I do feel, and we'll touch a bit more of this in the next part, the defence for me is something that has to get strengthened. Yeah, I think for as much as the defence has improved... And we've seen a little bit of reinforcements. We saw Matias Laborda come in. I think still there are some pieces in that in that defense, especially now that I think they're fully committing to the three at the back. Once again, I know they they switched from at the beginning of the season. I think they're better with the three at the back. Now that they're fully committing to the three at the back, now it's finding some players that are suited perfectly for a three at the back rather than some players that have maybe shoehorned into a three at the back sort of like a Javane Brown who's used to being more uh, of a wing back full back rather than a right center back kind of thing Hmm. six of their 10 defeats this year were by a single goal so again that just shows you how close they are to maybe just turning things around their biggest wins were 5-0 in the Champions League against Real Espana and then that bizarre 5-0 win over a horrible Montreal side. That Full credit to them, they managed to turn things around in the end because it looked at, at that game, Lasada's going to be out any day now. They're going to be in for a tough season. And they, they kept in it right to the very last game. Outside of that, the biggest win was a 6-2 win against Houston at the end of May. And that was a fantastic performance, one of their games of the season. Biggest defeats in MLS, though, and this kind of surprised me. They didn't lose by more than three goals, which is still not great, but it's like it just feels that there was maybe some games where they had, because they, they lost 3 0 at SKC in July. They mm-hmm. lost 4 1 at Houston. Um, they had the playoff 5 2 loss at LAFC. And LAFC won 3-0 twice in CONCACAF Champions League action as well. So, taking those games out of the equation, they were very much in all the matches that they played this year. Yeah, and I think that's once again down to the way that the team plays and the system that Vanny likes to play, in that when it's actually working and all the systems are firing and all of the gears are, are turning in the right way, then it's a very effective way to play. Uh, the other thing is that when a system like that, because it relies so much on every player doing their job, when there's a failure and there's something that goes wrong, it tends to go quite wrong. And that's mm-hmm. why we saw a little bit of those 
anomalies. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, he, Vanny always says that he likes to uh, play football the same way he likes to view the world. And it's a very sort of socialist kind of way of everybody together, everybody's working together. When they fail, they all fail together. And so it looks a bit worse. But when they win, they all win together. So the performance, when they do win, seems a bit more impressive. But I think overall, Vanny has had more time to implement the system. I feel like, obviously, now two and a half years in, first half season was just, all right, let's get to the postseason and and, and try to right this wrong. Then last year was starting to implement his ideas more and figure things out. I think this is the first real season where he's like, okay, I've got my team now. Now I know how I want to play. Now that I've had a full year under my belt, now let me see what I can do with this team. And I think in the end, everything that we saw across the season, it was a marked improvement. Mm -hmm. And I think it gives people enough confidence to trust in the process that he is building here at the Whitecaps. Yeah. And when they were really clicking, they looked good. They looked like they could be anyone in the in the league and Vanny said that and they, they had good performances against Cincinnati they had good performances against LA Seattle St. Louis like they're not too far away and I think there is a lot of hope you, they, they need to get a bit more consistency last year in MLS play they had spells of three unbeaten matches three times over the season but only one of those produced three straight wins. They had two spells where they lost three games straight. This year, they had an eight-match unbeaten run from games three to ten that produced three wins and five draws. They had a five-game unbeaten run to finish the season, but just the one win in there, they only lost two of their last 11, three of their last 14, and that was six wins and five draws, Considering they had a road spell from hell, that's a that's some pretty good runs of games. And again, it just goes back to if they can just sneak a, another goal here or there, turn some of those draws into wins, it looks even more impressive. If, if they can try and keep that consistency going, but consistency, I think, is going to be the key for them next year. Yeah, and I think, especially in those in those unbeaten runs, yes, it's great to be unbeaten, and the, but a lot of those were draws, and a lot of those were games where I know I came away with, uh, from it, and a lot of people came away from it like, that's a game we should have won. Yeah. Like, I think of the Colorado makeup game. That oh. is a game that we should have won, and that could have made a huge difference because you saw how tight the table was uh, come the end of the conference. That... If you turn a result like Colorado into the win, maybe another draw into the win, or at least another loss into a draw, then we're looking at being in the top three of the conference, and it's a completely different playoff uh, structure there. It's a completely different opportunity. The road to the to the conference semifinal final might not be as hard, and we don't have to face LAFC right away. We can face them, you know, a few weeks down the line, especially with how long MLS this MLS playoffs is going on for. <laughs> It could be. A, it could have been a completely different story altogether. So it's those small moments, those results that don't seem all that consequential. That in the end, when you look back across the entire season, you can pick out and be like, "This, this could have been something even more had it gone our way." Just as an aside, before we get to our last point in this part, 
just something that you mentioned there about how long the playoffs are going on, and this was the same last year, and I I don't see a way around it really because of the international break in November, but you've had all this excitement, and now you've had two weeks off, and I'm like, eh, not that fuss now. The white caps are out. We've had this break. And once the games start again, I'll be a bit more excited, but it just kills the momentum of the playoffs totally. Yeah. Honestly, for me, is like as soon as the Whitecaps were out, I in my head I was like, I, I'm, I, I'll tune back in for the conference finals mm-hmm. and, and and then for the for the big final. But I, especially with how long it's taking, and I mean, people are going to watch it because it's the only football content that they can see. Yeah. Uh, professionally in 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 the country, uh, at least in, from Canada and from from the United States. But you know, a lot of people are already there. They're going to switch to Europe. Because that's usually the tendency. They start focusing on the European seasons. You know, everyone has a has a MLS team, and everyone has a European team that they follow as well. So I think MLS has to try to figure out a way to not only keep them engaged, but at that point, it's continue to compete with what Europe are putting on and you can't compete toe to toe with what Europe are doing because they just have more money, more history, more status, better quality, all, all of that. You've got to try to do something different. And I can see why they try to do the best of three to try to produce a little bit more excitement, a little bit more content, be a bit more different. But I think stretching the playoffs even more is not the way I, I would go because interest is waning already. I see on mm-hmm. Twitter, people forget that the playoffs are even going on yeah, and that there's even a break. But without the best of three, if it had been single game elimination, they could have had it done and dusted before yeah. the, the the international break, even starting it a week earlier. Now you're going to have the break for League's Cup again next year. Copa's on next year, where I would imagine they're not going to shut down for, but teams are going to be losing players. That's the that's the disadvantage the Whitecaps could have if they sign Canadians, because the US team, you'd imagine, will... Well, I don't know, will it be in a FIFA window? I guess it will be, because it's Copa. They'll be able to get their players, but most of them's European-based... But a lot of the South American teams, their players are in MLS. So you're going to have players missing from that. It's just getting such a full schedule. There's so many games to watch. There's Canadian Championship. There's Champions League again next year. But from our point of view, is great. It's will the fans turn up for that, which is bringing me to my, my last point. The average attendance this year saw the Whitecaps drop to 27th from the 29 teams. Last year, they were 22nd from 28, but they actually increased their average attendance. Last year, it was 16,399. This year, 16,745. So it's only an increase of 346. And if they hadn't packed it out for... Well, actually, it doesn't count for that because that was the playoff game. So yeah, it was the last game of the season where they had over 20,000 that pushed them just over that. If you factor in the the playoff game against LAFC, it would take it higher. But at least it's consistent. And the feedback that we've had from speaking to like Axel and the club, season tickets have increased. The interest seems to be there again. The excitement about the team seems to be there again. So now they have to deliver on the pitch to keep that going next year. Yeah, and we saw a lot of 
good positive things come out, especially from those last few games of people thoroughly enjoying their time. And we've talked to Axel about, you know, season ticket holders. So many more season ticket holders are coming in for 2024. And I've even seen people on Twitter talking about how they signed up to be a season uh, ticket holder for the club because of everything that they've seen. And it seems like it's moving in a positive direction. But it's like you said, it's now they have to take that and continue that momentum forward and a lot of it unfortunately especially in north america where loyalties might not be as deep in blood compared to europe it's very much performance based if the white caps have a poor season next season i feel like as much as marketing and stuff will want to you know are going to try to push this forward and try to keep being more consistent it's going to take a toll Mm -hmm. and you have to try to better yourself from this season and go even further next season all the way up into the playoffs including the playoffs because that game at bc plays against lafc as much as you want to talk about the refereeing of course it was the main thing and everyone was talking about how atrocious it was the white caps in my opinion were very lucky that the referee was as bad as it was and that was all the talk yeah because it hid a very subpar performance from the actual team. And a lot of people were coming away with that entertained. And so in the end, I think from a you know fan retention point of view, it, it was actually a success because it was dramatic and people were booing and you could hear everything. And it felt almost like why people go to watch WWE. It's for the entertainment yeah, rather it was than a the spectacle. sport. Yeah, exactly. But you can't always rely on getting lucky like that. If you ha- have these big matches where we have sort of seen that when Whitecaps drawing a huge crowds, they sort of falter a little bit. They don't play as well as sometimes they do when you have only the 16,000, when they have 20, 25,000, there's where more eyes on you. The pressure gets on. There's where you need to perform to retain these fans. And I think next season they can't rely on uh, Timmy Ford having a, an absolute nightmare of a performance in refereeing, you need to be able to step up to the plate and show the people why they want to come and see you because you can step up in these big moments and be able to dispatch a team and be giant killers. That story would, would have been amazing, being able to knock out LAFC, the reigning MLS Cup champions. So I think that's something that they will definitely want to uh, focus on not only for on the pitch, but obviously for off the pitch in terms of attendance. Talking to Tim Ford, I saw him on the TV last night. I don't know if you did or not. He was the VAR official for Panama, Costa Rica. Ooh. Him and Alan Chapman were the two VAR officials. So his face came up on the screen. On the plus side, it's Black Friday. I can get a new TV because I, I put something through the screen of mine when I saw him on it. But that's an aside. <laughs> But now you are quite right. His performance did detract from what was a, an unsatisfactory performance by the team in that second game. And that's what they need to address. That's what they need to build upon next year. How can they do it? What do they need to do to do it? We'll talk about that in the next part. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Sexy. 
voluptuous, that's not quite the word. Mama, Mama, Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the song from one of our two Artists of the Month here at AFTN for the month of November, Scottish legends from Glasgow, The Yummy Fur, with a song taken from their debut album, Nightclub, that was released in 1996. 17-track album, some great stuff on it. That song was called Films, and let's get to know you a little bit better, Philippe. Well, can I get an insight into what makes you tick? What's your favourite, like, all-time films? If you're to sit down, you're on a desert island, you could take one, two, three films with you, or specific director, what would be your film choices? So you 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 were asking the right person because I sit around and think about my top five favorite everything all the time, and I love to. I used to do that so stuff. much as well. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually do have a favorite film list. Uh, my favorite film of all time is actually The Princess Bride. Um, my wife's as well. Oh, a woman of good taste. I see. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just I love fantasy. I read a lot of fantasy books, and it's just a perfect uh, like fantasy movie where it doesn't take itself too seriously and has some pretty witty comedy about it. Uh, and I loved it since I was a kid. I read the book, uh, and I will still love it. I'll watch it happily any day. But uh, then after that, my favorite actor is Tom Hanks. So second is actually Forrest Gump. Oh. Uh First time I watch it, I cried. And then the next 10 times I watch it, I continue to cry. Uh, and third is The Green Mile uh, as well with, with Tom Hanks. I really love those kind of... I mean, Forrest Gump is a comedy, drama, historical fiction. And Green Mile is more of a dark, dra- dramatic um, film. But yeah, both of those, anything with Tom Hanks, honestly, I think he's a fantastic actor. Uh, but yeah, same with Ewan McGregor, one of my favorite actors as well. So anything that he's in, uh, I love watching. He was Obi-Wan Kenobi for me as a kid. And that was my hero when I was a child. I dressed up as Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars for like four or five uh, Halloweens in a row. But <laughs> yeah, pretty much anything from uh, from either of those two actors. And yeah, those are my top three favorite films. See, I I do I do like a film that makes you cry. It's I don't know. It's just it's weird. I I cry more at things like films or like dog videos on YouTube than I, I do mm. in real life situations and, and things. It's I don't know. It's just films that kind of get that emotional side off you. 
if if I was going my top three from three down, probably number three I would pick the Warriors. I've just always loved mm. that, and I can watch that over and over again. Now, interestingly, I've never seen Princess Bride, which is my wife's favourite film, and she's never seen two of my three favourite films because we always say, "Oh, we should watch." each other's favourite films and stuff, and we never have. She also likes Emperor's New Groove, so I did watch that with her. Oh, fantastic film. Great soundtrack. Yeah, but yeah, I've, I've never seen Princess Bride. I think I did see Forrest Gump way, way back. Green Mile, I have seen it. It was fantastic. That was yeah, that was a great film. But my wife, one of her favourite actors is Tom Hanks as well. He's just so oh, good really? in so many things. Yeah, you and her should meet. You'll get her like a house on fire. <laughs> more than my dog likes you she'll, she'll certainly like you so. oh, that's, that's um, very true yes my number two film is a, it's a British film from the 70s based around the mod movement it's in the 60s Quadrophenia which I don't know how many folk over here I mean it's a well known film but I don't know how many folk listen to this well I've seen it or watched it fantastic movie it's got great soundtrack and everything as well and my, my number one film, which might surprise a few folk with the persona that I give off, I love the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka uh, is just, like, one of my all-time... Well, Gene Wilder is one of my all-time favourite actors. I, I love him in so many of the things that he had done. But that I can repeat that film verbatim. And, of course, now we've got the Wonka preview or prequel that's coming out next month, which when I first heard about it, I was like, nope, not watching that. I hate when they do stuff like this. And then I saw the trailer, and it looks amazing. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Yeah, with uh, Timothy Chalamet, and yeah. he's a, a really good, versatile actor. Uh, he can do comedy, drama, action. And I think seeing him play Willy Wonka in just that trailer... It, uh, like you, I wasn't just big on it because I, I mean, for me, I, I, I only watched the Gene Wilde one after I've watched a Johnny Depp, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one. So for me, my Willy Wonka was Johnny Depp. But as yeah. soon as I saw Timothy Chalamet, I'm like, this is actually, this could actually be really good. Yeah, we we saw the trailer and I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. And then we, we were both like, oh, my God, I'm going to see that as soon as it gets into cinemas. <laughs> So I'm really looking forward to that one. That should that should be a good one. Director-wise, I love well, I love Tim Burton, but David Lynch, I mm. love his his weirdness and there's a lot of really good. I know it's very much hit or miss with with David Lynch, but you're either I can love him or or hate him kind of guy. Eraserhead's still a hard watch. June, not a great fan of, but things like Lost Highway, just absolutely tremendous films getting a bit sidetracked here but that is because we started off that section with a song called films and it mentions the italian director federico fellini who i must ask vanny if he's a fellini fan i i imagine he would be Hmm. i've not seen any fellini films but i i have read about his stuff and i know again it's kind of marmite hit or miss whether you like it or not but he's also, he's a little bit apolitical, but also a little bit left-leaning socialist as well. So I'm sure he's going to be right up Vanny's street with with that. So next time I speak to Vanny, I'll ask him if he is a big Fellini fan. But we're going to hear from Vanny next. 
and a little bit from Axel Schuster as well. Ryan Gold and Brian White, just from a couple of the chats that they had at the end of the season, just about their takeaways from the Whitecaps 2023 season, and a little look ahead to 2024. Looking forward then, season's finished, looking ahead to what comes next over the next coming weeks and months, and then also looking into next year, to, to both of you. I think you've both talked how close the team is to taking that next step. I know one of the targets was to, to win a playoff round and go mm-hmm. deeper this year. What do you feel the squad needs now to take you to that next level next season? What what are your prime targets for this coming off season? First of all, it's building from what we did this season. I think this season we did a fantastic season in terms of quality of play, in terms of... Uh, development of so some individual so the main thing because we're always looking for something new but we need to also to make sure that the good thing that we did this year okay let's do even better next year so consolidate the work that we've done with uh, with the players that that we have if you tell me about what's missing of this team like uh, uh, you know what we need I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about players because mm. the market is that. Like you know, tomorrow there's something raising, or tomorrow there's another team that uh, put on astronomical money for one of the players that we have, mm. and so that's the. You know, it's. It, I think we need to improve in two things. Uh, we need to set a target to concede a little less goals. We, it was much better this year, even in terms of expected goal to concede and everything. But I think that uh, in order to become an elite team, we should concede like uh, uh, six, seven goals less and having at least under 40, under 40 a year. And uh, um, so you pick the area we, where we have the six or seven. I think we considered too many goals from set plays at the beginning of the season. We uh, improved dramatically in transition. We had to be better to... Um, being aggressive right outside the box. I think we consider too many shots right outside the box. So that's a, that's a thing that we need to improve. The other thing that we need to improve in offensively is to be a little bit more unpredictable. I think we have a very nice and beautiful and fluid uh, build-up game and how we arrive there, all the movements, all the pieces needs to be there. Uh, we, scores, we score and we create chances with a lot of movement off the ball I think we need to become a team uh, that can also take players more 1v1 sometimes when we have the ball. A lot of what Wendy said already, um, and uh, we had the first player meetings and the players really bring that up, that this is a special group uh, on, on a lot of different levels. So they speak about the wide and locker room, also the commitment and, and the energy that guys brought into this group, even on the pitch, in training, um, guys that haven't played a lot. Um, that then very often have to challenge the guys or have to um, simulate the opponent in training and if they do the best possible job that helps to to prepare the the starters. Um, Also um, we just spoke with a very experienced player who said with all his experience he has not seen a lot of groups where every player is also so committed to pre-training and post-training program and, and carrying himself in the right way. Um, said that, I think this is all the things that have made us strong this season and we have to continue to do this. We first have to make sure that, as I always say, we want to grow in a sustainable way, that this is the starting level of next year. I would say that's very important for me 
this has to be the starting level for next year where we have landed at the end of this year. And then um, what do we have to do in the next step? First of all, I would say we have to stick to the master plan and we have to stick to what makes us strong and also how we have built over years the, the team. We have to be very careful about the pieces that we add to the group. We have to be uh, we have to make very clear and sure that, that we keep the mindset that everyone comes back with the right mindset and wants to play the next level. I can also say from the first conversations, you will not find one of the players coming into the room and if you ask him what are your thoughts on the season, he said, was a great season. The feedback is always the same. It was a good season, but hey, we could have done better. So and we need to keep that for the off-season now, that in mind, we could have done better. There is a next step to go, and we can go this also with this team. Then, yes, of course, we have to make sure that we keep the players that are the key, play key players, or we have to replace them immediately with a similar key player or with, a, with another player that we have no gaps because our season maybe starts early. And the last thing I would say, what we have addressed already, and we will think about that again, um, especially if the season starts earlier next year, the last two seasons we came a little bit out uh, slow out of the gates. Not saying the Salt Lake game here was actually a really, really good game, but result-wise uh, we had uh, three points after five games also this year and the season before. And imagine if we come out of the gates in a way like we played at the end and we would be right at the beginning uh, in, in a better position also what that makes for the team, for the belief. Um, not only the missed points, also maybe you would have got other points later because you would have go into games with, with more confidence about your performance already that we then had to create over, over the time. So these are the things we, we have to work on and uh, we have to do this uh, in the same way we have done it the last years and we all have to push ourselves hard that there is a next step and that that's not also knowing that every that everyone right now is speaking positively and that there's a good vibe in the city and more than 30,000 people in the stadium that that we don't celebrate us too long and that we immediately start to work on on the next step i know it's raw and it's kind of hard to really put things into perspective just now but you both had great individual years you've won a cup you're in the champions league next year what are your main takeaways that you're you're both going to take from this season yeah, i think you know personally for me it was a point that came in rebounding from last year i think last year with as a team, personally as well, it was pretty disappointing. And so for us to come back and put this kind of season together, obviously, like I said, winning Canchan, winning Cascadia Cup, um, I think it made you know the city alive and interested in the Vancouver Whitecaps again. And that's something that we want to continue to build on. It's you know we're we're excited to be able to bring a product to this field that the fans are excited about and they want to come see. And um, we're just hoping to continue that that momentum from this year and carry it on to the next year. Yeah, obviously, like like Bryce said, it's nice to have um, good years individually. But at the end of the at the end of the year, what you remember is your what the team achieved, and um, you know we we managed to to win the Canadian Cup for a second year in a row, which is nice. But um, there was a there was a feeling that we could really go and do something in the playoffs. Um, so it's, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in in your mouth, and. Um, yeah, it was just going to have to work a lot that um, next year things will be better. 
Axel Schuster, Vanny Sartini, Ryan Gold, Brian White, talking about some of their takeaways from 2023, a good year for the Whitecaps in general, does leave a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth, which I have just now uh, from drinking my grapefruit juice that I was just chatting to Felipe about as well. It's left a very sour taste in my mouth, maybe not as much as feeling that you could have done a little bit more in the, in the playoffs that, than you did. And I mean, hopefully, Felipe, that's going to be something now that they take into next year as big, big motivation, that they know they left something on the table out there. Yeah, I think that's the greatest motivator that they have. And I think it's felt throughout everyone at the club, not just from the players, but from the staff, from the backroom staff, from everyone in administration, anyone that you talk to, you kind of sort of see in their eyes a bit of a disappointment because they knew that they could be better than what they showed. And I think as an organization, if everyone sort of believes that you can be better and that you are better than what you showed, then that obviously is going to trickle down from the top to the bottom and and vice versa. And I think they have the best platform than they have had maybe since 2017 to perform to an even greater level and reach a conference final and be able to compete even more in the CONCACAF Champions Cup this is the season, I think, that if they play their cards right in recruitments, especially with the DP slot open, they might be able to compete to a level that we haven't really seen from the Whitecaps in the MLS era. Mm, I think that is the the big hope and expectation, but we've had kind of false dawns before. Can mm. they do it? Can they get there? What do they need to do? But we'll find out some of that, because now we're going to play a little game. It's time for Blankety Blank. Now, Felipe, you've probably got absolutely no idea what the game show Blankety Blank is. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely. I haven't had the foggiest. Well, Blankety Blank was a TV show that started off in the UK in the late 70s, which... Many, many years before you were born. I'm just checking here. It started in 1979. And it's still going today, but there were big gaps in between. It just kind of got brought back about two or three years ago as as well. It's a, it's a comedy panel show, basically. Um, it was called Blankety Blanks over here. They had an, uh, an American version of it. In short, because I'm throwing you in at the deep end here... What it is, is in the in the show, the host reads out a sentence and it ends in blank or blanks. And then the contestant has to fill in the blank. And then there's six celebrities and they write down their answer and they hold up what their blank would be. And if you match it, you get a point and whoever gets the most points goes to play for more prizes and stuff like that. That might not make a lot of sense, but it will when we start to play it. That actually sounds like a a game from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race called Snatch Game. Oh, it's the same sort of thing, but but it's it's the it's a reverse where the drag queens have to impersonate a celebrity, 
and then write the same uh, answers. They say a sentence and then they have to write answers and they have two two guests and they have to try to match the answers while being oh. funny. So I can see the, 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 the things very based similar. Off well, yeah. we don't have to be funny. We just have to give our serious answers. And you're my celebrity okay. guest for this. So I'm going to give Lovely. you three sentences. Each one will have a <clears> blank. <throat> I just want you to fill in the blank. And it can be a one word answer that you elaborate on. Or it could be a couple of words, whatever. So we're going to start off. They're all white caps related. So the 2023 white caps season was blank. Hmm. I'll say that the 2023 white caps season was encouraging. Oh, I like that. It was that. an encouraging thing, season. Everything that, that we sort of saw made me feel like uh, they were going in the right direction and that there's a uh, a lot of potential that has yet to be realized. I cannot better that in any way, shape or form. That is a fantastic one because I, I had thought uh, trending in the right direction was where I was going, but and you've managed to say that in one word. I'm always too mouthy for that. But I think that's very fair. I think a lot of positives have been talked about in the first part and it, it does... There's a buzz about the team. There's a buzz about what this team can be. And let's see if we're still feeling that optimistic in 12 months' time down the road. So the second one for you. The one position the Whitecaps need to strengthen the most is blank. Hmm. Like a proper football position? like a, Yeah. In, or, in, or, in, or however you want to interpret that question. Well, I'll say then, if I could be interpretive, the one position the Whitecaps need to strengthen the most in is in their depth. Mm, and their depth, both good. in attacking and defense and depth. We've seen that when some players kind of run out of steam, we don't really have all that many players off the bench that can sort of pick it up. So I think depth is something that they need to work on when uh, some of their star players aren't firing on all cylinders. Yeah, that depth is going to be huge for them next year, especially because they're they're fighting on, on so many fronts yet again, as we saw this year. And the depth has to be better. Whether it means some of this year's starters then become the depth players for next year, that's a whole other discussion that, that we'll have. But they, they have to basically improve that depth. For me, if I'm looking at just one sole position, centre-back... I feel they have to get an experienced centre-back in there to to help Ranko out. I think Ranko had to take on so much of, like, marshalling that defence this year. And he he came away from the season better for it. I I think he's a better player now at the end of this season than he was at the end of last year. But you can't rely on him and Tristan Blackman as much. And I think we saw Blackman tire and get... Hmm a little bit off his game and Javane Brown when he came in looked decent can't seem to go past 60 minutes though is one of his issues Laborde as well touching and go is to what I feel about Laborde I had very high hopes for him coming in and then Vanny tells you oh he's not a centre back he's a he's a right back and you're like ah uh, is he everything hmm. else seemed mm-hmm. to say that he was a centre back and then he's done better when he's been a centre-back. So, I mean, it sounds like he's definitely going to be back from the, the question that I asked Axel at the 
the availability when all the roster decisions were made and he feels he's starting to understand the league and come into his own. But we, we need an experienced head. Your Chiellini type. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I can a, a fantasy booked us signing Chiellini for one last year. I don't know that he his body would hold out another year, especially if he's having to play games on the turf. But what he could be for that team in the locker room and for those defenders and share that knowledge. And when you hear some of the LAFC players talk about what they've learned from having him in the club, that's the kind of guy that a few of the Whitecaps need. Yeah, no, and I think that's a a fair shout as an experienced centre-back that can sort of, you know, when things get tough, settle everybody down and be that sort of rock in the defence that you can always rely on. And our last question in this episode of Blankety Blank, the thing that will take the Whitecaps to the next level is blank. Ooh, okay. The thing that will take the Whitecaps to the next level Mm -hmm. is... you, You can define what the next level is whatever way you want. Yeah. Hmm. What? Does that have to be one answer? Because I have no. two no, you, answers. You okay. can certainly give two. From For one, for a more sort of like actual tangible answer, is a, an effective third DP. I think mm. that they need to bring in somebody that... I, it's more than likely that because it's never been Axel Schuster's way to bring in proper superstars, it's not going to be a big money name from Europe. But we, you can still find effective high caliber players that aren't that big money name that can come in, either have, are familiar with a league or are somewhat familiar with, with the kind of league that the MLS is and can add and contribute to the same level as a Ryan Gall does in the midfield and as uh, Andres Cuez does defensively in the midfield. I think uh, the, the next DP that they sign could change the Whitecaps in terms of how well they can perform week in and week out if it's the right choice. The other thing that I'll say from a more mentality point of view is that the thing that will take the Whitecaps to the next level is a killer instinct. Because I think that's something that the Whitecaps were lacking in multiple games is just that killer instinct in the attack, sometimes even in the midfield and in the in that defense killer instinct doesn't necessarily mean in front of goal. It means in the tackle in in yourself, Mm -hmm. just being confident in the actions that you do. I think if more players sort of embody that killer instinct, obviously the important part is in front of goal, but even not just the forward players, I think that can bring the Whitecaps to another level. Yeah. Going back to the DP thing, like if you look at Ryan Gold, obviously I'd heard of him because he was Scottish but he's not a superstar when mm. he came here. It's like he wasn't. he's not even playing for the national team. Folk will have heard of him, but not everyone. And he's, he's not like a big, big name. But you've seen how effective he can be. And if they can find another Ryan Gold-type player, I mean, that would be absolutely fantastic. I do kind of wonder, like, Vanny's going to be going to Japan, which I imagine is more just for a vacation than anything else because he's big on his Japanese culture and learning Japanese just now. But could that be the market? It's worked for Celtic in Scotland. They've had some fantastic Japanese finds there. Yeah, Japan right now and the way that they're 
sort of cultivating their football I you know ability as a as a as a country and the way that they have soccer as an infrastructure there and there like in the prefectures and stuff like that there's a lot of talent coming out of Japan and Asia in general so that might be a market that I would definitely want to maybe peer into see if you can find some hidden gems that you can bring over to the MLS before Europe finds them mm. And if anyone hears some weird static, I have been rubbing my dog and now I'm getting like static off the microphone. And she's just very excited because she's a big fan of the podcast, I guess, or that she might be needing Definitely out. not one, of me. One or the other. No, maybe she's, maybe she's warming to you and she's seen you on the screen now and she's like, it's my <laughs> friend. I haven't stared at him judgingly for months <laughs> <laughs> she stares at everyone judgingly. It's her eyebrows. It's weird. I mean, my mm. my two things to to that question. We, we've covered one, which is depth. I think if we get the depth right, we can push on a little bit further. And that depth needs to be improvement in every area gradually. Aside from the guys that's maybe locked in at, at starters, you're not going to improve on Ryan Gold in, in the foreseeable future. I wouldn't imagine. But the other one, which we also touched on the first part as well, was consistency. They just have to be more consistent. And I know it's tough in a long season. I know it's tough when you've had seven games on a road spell, which will not be happening. Axel has assured us that it's not going to be happening this year. But, I mean, who knows what happens? Just today, the Rolling Stones were announced at a gig on July 5th at BC Place. They're only Canadian mm. Uh, concert so that's going to lock the stadium up a few days before the day itself and a few days after so you've got that then you've got the lines playing and it all gets a little bit complicated I've got to say yeah Um. but yeah let us know what your answers to, to those would be AFT in Canada on Twitter stroke x AFT in Canada at hotmail.com that was White Caps Blankety Blank so I would just round this part off with some white caps news of the week. There's there's not been ton, but just wanted to, to touch on a few of it. Uh, they announced some white caps two players that have been kept, some released, some still in talks or out of contract. So centre back, or the two Kiwis, I guess we could say, centre back Finlander and midfielder Jay Herdman have both signed new MLS Next Pro contracts through 2024. I'm not surprised by that because they're both big prospects, but I I know Jay Herdman was hoping that he could maybe get an MLS deal this season to, to move up to the first team. The problem for both of them is they both had injuries down the stretch season ending injuries so I think it's good that the Whitecaps bring them back on take a look at them but they they both seem good prospects at least yeah especially Jay I mean he was finding some really good form both for WFC2 and also for the I believe it was the under 21 New Zealand side he was starting to pick up you know uh, some really good experience and show some really good performances and then got that long-term injury 
right when it felt like he could start to, you know, make that push to make that jump in the same sort of way that we saw some other players from WOC do to do in the past. So yeah, it's unfortunate for him. And uh, same thing with Finn Linder. He was a staple as, as a center back for WFC two. And when they were performing really well at the beginning of the season, and then he got that injury and then their season started to fall off the tracks. Yeah, it's it's been a, a, a tough one for both of them. I, that injury to Jay, as soon as I saw it, it was like, oh, that's not good. He is in a, a lot of trouble with that. And yeah, it did end the season. So hopefully we can see a bit more of them in their development because there's, there's high hopes for both of them. But there's also high hopes for wingback Mihail Gerasimenkov, the Moldovan who has had his contract option extended as well. And he has played with Moldova at under-19 level. And they're clearly keeping a, a close eye on him. F- of all the players in WFC2 just now that I think might make the jump, Mihail, I think, is the guy that's going to be that guy. Yeah, I think he's shown that in the in that wing-back position, he has a quality ball in him. He's quite intelligent, both on and off the ball. And, you, you know, he had that one wonder goal that he scored at BC Place. I forget against who it was. Uh, it was during their stint uh, where they were playing at BC Place. And even though there wasn't that many people there, I think that shocked people for him to score. Like, it was a cross slash shot that fooled everybody including the keeper and nestled into yeah, the, the back of the net yeah and i think people were starting to take notice of him a little bit more after that because he's just a quality player and i think from the season that we saw him and antoine coupland are the two players that you sort of see being more likely to to make that jump yeah coupland's uh the other guy that I think definitely has it. The options were declined on Giovanni Aguilar. Not really surprising because of his age now. He's been great with the twos though and such a nice guy. I was hoping he might be able to make the jump but not to be. Malcolm Johnston, again not too surprised there and Gloria Amanda as well. They just didn't light it up enough in MLS Next Pro. Centre-backs, Lucas Dazovic and Simone Massey, wing-back Elijah Barr, midfielder Vasco Fry and forward Joe Hansen are all out of contract at the end of the year. Interestingly, from a Vancouver FC point of view, obviously Vasco Fry was there on loan, did well. When I spoke to him a a few weeks back, we'd be open to, to coming back there. He wants to play. He enjoyed playing with Renan Garcia. Feels he learned a lot from him. And at the recent trial matches that they had, Joe Hansen and Lucas Dazovic were both trialists for Vancouver FC. Yeah, and I mean, if I was Vancouver FC, uh, even maybe Pacific FC or any other CPL club, but specifically Vancouver FC, uh, my mouth would have been watering after the the release of uh, the squad changes at WFC2 because there are some players there that might have not lit it up this season, but are still, I think, some quality players. Obviously, Vasco Fry. I think Elaj Ba is a pretty good player. Uh, Joe Hansen, if he can get some form, I think he can be a good mm-hmm. player. Uh, and then, obviously, the one that we're going to talk about a little bit, Kerry Fayao. These yes. are all players that you would look at as a CPL side and be like, 
these are young players that have experience playing in a, in a competitive league like MLS uh, Next Pro. They can come in and with a full preseason under them, they can become some pretty decent CPL caliber players. I I would argue that the top teams as well in MLS Next Pro are better level than CPL. And a lot of it is very even. And then you're going to get teams at the bottom that's younger and that aren't as good. But yeah, Karifa Yao officially now has been released. He's eligible for the re-entry draft. Just played the one MLS match, which was a, a whole minute against Seattle in May. But at least he got to at least say, well, I played in MLS. Two appearances, though, in the Champions League. One of them a full 90 down at Real España. Played 55 minutes at LA Galaxy in the League's Cup. Eight minutes in the CCL win at, sorry, Canadian Championship win at York. And he made seven appearances in MLS Next Pro. We had a little chat on on last week's show about him because we were surprised that they hadn't just made the decision there. And then, surely he's heading back to CPL and you have to think Cavalry is the place that might want to have a look at him again. Yeah, especially if after the season that Dan Klomp had, mm. where he might have some suitors, if they lose a player, you know, defender of the year and player of the year, Dan Klomp, then Karifa Yao, especially with what he showed for them and his loan prior, could be a decent replacement for them at uh, no real effort or cost. Just to finish up this part, just on Dan Klomp, I had spoken about I'd love him here in Vancouver, I think. Yeah, he's coming from CPL, but he's experienced. He's come through the Dutch system. So there was an interesting interview that he gave with uh, De Voetbal and Northern Tribune did a a kind of transcription of it in a piece today where he admits MLS clubs are interested in him, but Mm. Cavalry are looking for a hefty fee is Mm. what he said. But there's been interest already shown and he spoke, interestingly as well, about I can get permanent residency now, so I would count as a Canadian, which obviously you'd still be international in the US. So does that mean the three Canadian clubs are sniffing about Dan Klomp? That is interesting, because if you can get the permanent residency and count as domestic for Canadian clubs, then the enticement to bring him on uh, just intensifies. Mm. I, I would definitely bring him in. I, I think it's worth even bringing him in for pre-season. And I know we've had Amir Didic, it didn't work out. We've had, well, Dominic Zatar before. He was doing really well. We had him in WFC two days. Daniel Kurtzen. Yeah, Kurtzen as well. We had a look at him. So some of these guys haven't made it through pre-season. And I know when I spoke about I'd like to bring him here, there's a few folk got in touch and said, no, we need better calibre than that. I'd like him and an experienced centre-back, and then I feel I'm happy at the back because he's not just a, and I don't mean this disparagingly, he's not just a CPL player that you'd be bringing in. He's he's a bit more than that. I agree. And I think the fact that he played every single minute for Calvary shows that he's reliable, shows that he is somebody that you can put on for an odd game here or there, and he will give you 100%, and he'll give you a strong performance. Uh, and I think, yeah, with with everything that he's achieved in his career so far, I wouldn't. I think it would be a, a solid gamble to bring him in, and, and especially with the permanent residency, I see no downsides. Hmm. 
So that's it for this part. We've got one more part to go. We're going to be handing out the first of our AFTN awards. They're all going to be Whitecaps ones. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of our Artists of the Month here at AFTN for the month of November. From Tamaki, Macarao, Auckland and New Zealand, it's Dick Move. There's track Ladies Night, the second track on their debut album Chop, was also a single released in 2020. You can find all their stuff on dickmove2.bandcamp.com And the great thing about both our Artists of the Month this month is because their songs are so short, I can play them all in full, or on the most part I can play them in full. So that is one good thing. Or at least I think so. But we're going to finish off our Whitecaps chat for this episode by handing out the first of our AFTN awards. We're going to be doing these over the next few weeks some will be just white cap centric, some will be general Canadian, North American soccer centric, some will be a little bit of fun as well. But we're going to kind of look at the white caps player ones in this part. And I, I think we might have a lot of uh, agreement on some of these, Felipe, but we'll, we'll just have a quick chat about them. White caps player of the year. Now, for me, and we'll take turn about giving our answers for who we would have for this. But for me, I'll kick this one off with Ryan Gold. No surprise to anyone, I'm sure. He's 28 next month, so still going to be a good age for being in MLS. 11 goals and 13 assists, and if you include the playoffs, in MLS this year. His first season and a half in the league, he had 12 goals and 15 assists, plus one goal in the Canadian Championship final this year as well. Two assists in the the Champions League 
and two assists in the League Cup. So just a fantastic all-round season. And he's almost produced as much in one season as he has in his first season and a half, Felipe. And that's with him getting off to a slow start. That's the most incredible part as well. Is like when you think back at it, I remember in the early days of the season that people were talking about Ryan Gold and how he wasn't having any goal contributions. And, mm. you know, this is a, a DP. Are we having an issue with another DP? All of that, the slow start. And then you look now and, you know, the fact that he was in the MVP shouts shows that if that's just in 75% of the league, imagine what he could do if he starts, yep. uh, you know, hitting the ground running next season. Because, again, table's very tight. If he, he could have had a few more man-of-the-match performances in the early parts of the season, we could have been up there second or third, yeah. or maybe even pushing St. Louis. I, th I think he knows that as well. I liked his honesty as well when he was playing down the MVP chart, and he's like, look, I did not have a good start to the season. And I know the Whitecaps gave the free hats out and I like having the hat. I couldn't vote for him. I had to vote for Acosta. For me, he was the, the MLS Player of the Year. But, I mean, Gold was right up there for his contributions. I mean, d does he get your Whitecaps Player of the Year or were you more oh. out of the box thinking? No, I will not be the edgy pick in this one. I will go with <laughs> Ryan Gold. Who, who would your runners-up be then? Or... Just who who impressed you th this year from a White Cat's point of view? I mean, Brian White obviously has to be mentioned for the season that he had, the most prolific season he's had. And I think with the quiet season that he had the year before, people were wondering, can he do it? Or is he permanently going to be more of a, a utility player, especially with the idea that we were going to sign a big number nine? The fact that he stepped up when goal scoring was an issue and managed to score as many goals as he did throughout, especially in that second half of the season, I think he's definitely up there in players of the year. For me, based on the first half of the season, he had a little bit of a resurgence towards the, the end as well. But based on the first half of the season, Andres Kouas has to be up there, I think, mm -hmm. as well, because defensively, as, at times, he was unplayable. In the midfield, you he was perfect at disrupting play, at disrupting the buildup. He was, you know, he was a shark with spelt blood in the water. He would, he was a bloodhound going after everybody in possession, and I think his distribution was it was quite good as well in possession. I think he kind of got a little quiet towards the second half of the season. I think that's why for me he falls down the pecking order. But I think, yeah, Brian White, Andres Kouas, I mean, Ali Ahmed, obviously, and the impact he had, but I think he's going to win another award. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think those are the players that would that would throw uh, their their names in the ring. I, I was looking at White's stats. So, in MLS, 15 goals and 6 assists. In his three seasons with the Red Bulls, he had 15 goals combined over those three seasons. Then you look at that breakout year when he came here in 2021 with the 12 goals, and then you, you worried, well, I, I did, I worried with the four from last year. It's like, oh, was that his career year? Was that the best? And I don't know if it was the signing of Cordova that just lit an extra fire, or obviously we know how well him and Ryan Gold have linked up that chemistry, the understanding that they've got, which you need if that pushed it over but can you imagine if he had another year 
like in 2022, we would be looking at the Whitecaps not as a playoff team. No, exactly. It would it would mean the difference between them finishing potentially up in third and then more realistically, if he had a, a year like last year, finishing maybe fighting for that last place in ninth. Yeah. I, I, th- I think Ranko deserves a shout out as well for helping lead that defensive line. Julian Gressel as well. For the first half of the season, he was my player of the year. And yeah. then he left. And then did you see everything that's happened in the playoff series in Columbus? Yeah, I heard that. With, he... with the coach and Wilfred Nonsi. Yeah. Not, he, for anyone that doesn't, he was, I think, subbed off for maybe 10 minutes to go the second game against Atlanta. Wasn't happy and then did not play in the third game. And you, you feel his time there is going to be a short one. Yes, which is unfortunate because it, obviously for him to because he wanted to move back to to the East Coast to be close to the family, but also from a Whitecaps point of view, because if we had him still oh. in our ranks and if it would have still been possible to bring a player like Richie and Sam in oh. alongside him yeah. and he would have played in that eight position. Instead of maybe Shopfi and have Shopfi and Ali or Shopfi and Vite as in that A position, woo, we could have been co- cooking with something real good. Him in, in our ranks in the second half of the season. Yeah, it's just a shame it didn't work out here. He was such a good player. Wish him all the very best. He's going to obviously go on to, to somewhere else. Makes the business done by the Whitecaps look all the better as well because of just how that worked out, they're going to get a good thing for him. Whereas if they had kept him, they may have got a few extra results, but they may not have got one or both of the Canadians in. And mm. they wouldn't have got anything potentially for him come the end of the year as well. If we look at Whitecaps' young player of the year then, Felipe, you can give your vote for this one first. Uh, I think it has to be Ali Ahmed. I mean, yeah. it's it's his breakout year, really. The fact that he, he in this season... You know, he's only 23. He got a call up to the Canadian men's national team for the Gold Cup, got a call up uh, to the Canadian men's national team for the Nations League that's currently going, hasn't featured yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if, as the time of recording, if he uh, plays into into the into the lineup or or at least comes off the bench, he's not in the starting 11. He had an incredible year for such a young player, Canadian player. He was... You know him and Simon Betcher during that during that purple patch were mm. the feel good stories the, mm-hmm. for the, the you know the local young boys being able to perform on big stages and show why we should still pay attention to young Canadian and young American talent and not always go for those superstars across the pond and I think it especially for for Ali it kind of sh- shows that you don't have to be a wonder kid who's 18 years old to be able to, you know, make your national team. You can be somebody who, who it takes you until 23, which is still young. But yeah. when you see players that are 18, 17, always f- featuring for Spain and Italy and Germany, uh, it, you know, it feels a little bit older. But yeah, no, Ali, I'm a fantastic season overall. And I think this is just going to get better from him. Uh, I think if he adds a little bit more goal production into his repertoire, then we could see a player that could have an immense impact on the team for 2024. 
yeah, I'm delighted for Ali. He, he's my vote as well. I, I've spoken about this on the show before. Got to know him well last year with WFC2 when he had the injury. We'd, we'd chat at games and stuff, and he's just such a, a nice lad. You just wish all the very best for him. Of course, he had that scary incident over in the Pacific game in the Canadian Championship as well, where yes. I think a few of us thought, he might even be dead the way that the thing had come around or he's broken his neck or it was something like really, really bad. And I'm not playing down a concussion, which can obviously be really, really bad and can prove to be career ending depending on how bad it is. But to bounce back from that, it's just, it's amazing. But that was such a terrifying moment. And like when we spoke to him a few months back now, he admitted as well, he was a bit worried when he woke up in the ambulance because he didn't really know what was going on or how bad it Mm. was because he's all strapped in and you're like, oh, shit. But, yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic. I think he will just go from strength to strength, as you say. Three goals, one assist, two of those goals in MLS as well. My my runner-up in this is Sebastian Berhalter, who I thought has really come into his own as a good depth player. Not a starter, obviously, but he's out of contract. I would hope that he's happy to, to re-sign and stay here, maybe get a little bit of bump. He might always want to go back to the US, though. That is always the thing for a, for a young lad, but I thought he's had a good year. But just talking about what you mentioned there, Ali's 23, and it goes back to what I'm always harping on about here. People in this country give up on players way too early. There Mm. are late developers. There are late bloomers. You you look at League One and some of the great performers for TSS this year, like Eric Edwardson. Oh, you're too old at 27. He's banging goals in left, right and centre. Every team wants a prolific goal scorer. He's not too old to suddenly go and play in CPL. It just, it, it bothers me that players are written off way too early. And I think Ali's a good example that a little bit of time, patience, and you can develop a player, 22, 23, which is still young, but in footballing terms, is considered old in, in some quarters. Yeah, exactly. I think it's because a lot of us, you know, the football fans are looking at Europe. And in Europe, mm-hmm. we see that these players are getting younger and younger and falling out to incredible abilities and we don't really see that all that much. You see maybe like an Alfonso Davies, uh, you know, every once in a while for Canada or like a Giovanni Reina or Christian Pulisic from from the United States. But over there, like you see the best young players and they're 18 and 19. They're playing for the likes of Real Madrid, you know, Manchester United, Borussia Dortmund. I think play uh, a lot of people here are seeing that as the standard. And so they treat the game here to that same standard Mm -hmm. when it doesn't necessarily work that way because you know a lot of players don't can't start the professional careers until after they get out of college and by the time they're out of college they're 21 22 years old so already they're quote unquote four or five years behind where other players start their career at 16 17 years old so i i agree with you that it's a little disheartening to see uh, players being dismissed so easily just because of their age, but that's why you need these success stories like Ali Ahmed to kind of prove it's like even if you are, you know, after college age, doesn't mean you can't grow and evolve and to be a quality player and one that can go on and even feature for the for the national team of your country. 
the, the other thing that really pisses me off, the other end of it, is there's more and more clubs handing professional deals to 14 and 15-year-olds. I think one mm. even signed a 13-year-old. That is ridiculous. Yeah, it, They're just doing it for the publicity, to market it and stuff. You're putting way too much pressure on a young kid. And I've seen so many talented 14, 15, 16-year-olds coming through the Whitecaps that when they get up to the adult game, it's just not the same for them. And they, they yeah, just disappear. Exactly. I mean, what was the American player that everyone thought was going to be like the next? Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu. It's the Freddie Adu curse that's, yeah. that's happening now where you got so much pressure put on from so young and his career never really panned out because of that. And then, you know, I, I've read some stories about him that he have, has been struggling to try to find clubs that want him for his playing ability and not for the publicity of his yep. own story and you know you look at teams that are giving uh players such young contracts and while these young players are really really good you know with a team like Real Madrid buying a kid from Brazil that's 16 years old for 50 million euros imagine what that kind of does to his mentality or you look at just this past week you know you look at a player like Gabi for Spain. He has a LCL injury that is going to take seven to nine months to recover. He's 19 years mm. old. He's already played something like, like 150 matches in the last two years. It's, it's starting to take a real toll on players that have no right to be playing to that intensity physiologically because they're yeah. not developed yet. Yeah. It, it's like they're just running them into the ground and you're you're going to get players retiring earlier and earlier, which is the sad thing. Talking of young players, though, our next two awards are the the young player, the young, young player of the year. So it's like a white Whitecaps male academy player of the year. And I've gone with Michael Hennessy for this. Regular listeners to the show will know I've been banging on about Michael Hennessy. In League One, seven goals and I've got two assists, and I'll put an asterisk beside that off. These are my assists from watching the games and jotting down. So there's a couple of games I don't have who got assists for, but he definitely has at least two assists and seven goals for the championship-winning League One BC side. He was the leading scorer with the Whitecaps under-19s in the Fraser Valley Winter League. He got 11 goals, which was the third highest in the league. And that's an adult league, the Fraser Valley equivalent to the VMSL. He's been lighting it up for SFU, which doesn't qualify for this award. But just to make mention of that, 13 goals he's had in his rookie season with SFU. He's been with the Whitecaps since 2019. 18 years old, from Burnaby, played with Mountain United, came to the Whitecaps, has done so well... And again, I just spoke, I don't like putting pressure on young guys and I, I'm bigging him up here and I wrote an article on him to, to big him up as well. He's this rarity that we've had in the Whitecaps Academy of a striker, a homegrown striker that's come through that I'm very excited about that has the ability, if he still continues the, the trajectory and works on his defensive side of the game, to be a breakout homegrown striker, which we just haven't had here at the Whitecaps. We've been close. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we have. And I agree with you. That would be my pick as well for, for the male Academy Player of the Year. Um, the few times that I've been able to, you know, see the League One BC side in action, he looks uh, like head and shoulders above the rest in terms of his ability, especially in front of goal. So I think he does have everything in his locker right now to break out. It's just about our we as a, like an organization, the Whitecaps, thinking about it. Are are we in a proper stage where we can allow him to grow mm. into that player without putting too much pressure on him? Because something that I mentioned earlier in the season when we were talking about Levante Johnson, I said I wouldn't want him to get a contract right away. Yeah. You did. I wanted it. I wanted him to develop more with WFC two and get a earn, try to earn that contract for next season because I felt if he got a contract now, it's a lot of pressure. People are going to want him to perform. If he doesn't perform, his minutes will wane, and then sort of there there might be like a dip in his in his evolution. Lo and behold, I think a little bit of that happened throughout the season as well, where he started really good as soon as he got his contract, and then his minutes started to wane more and more as the season went on. Similar thing with with Michael Hennessy. I think that for him, it's is the Whitecaps the best place for him to develop, given the history that that we've had with with uh, strikers and and just young players coming through in the academy. Or it would be better for him to look somewhere else for his own sake, for his own career. But I do hope that it works out well for the Whitecaps because it would be great to see a player like him, you know show up for the WFC2 side and maybe mm. even break out into the first team. A, a lot's going to depend as well if he wants to finish his four years at, at college and get that education because if he does by the time he graduates he's just going to be 21, 22, so still really young and who knows what the landscape's going to look like in, in local soccer in three or four years time as well but he, he still needs to work on his defensive side which he's getting better at Speaking to his head coach, Clint Schneider, he had basically said, a lot of people feel he doesn't care because he's a really chilled, laid-back guy. Like, trying to get an interview with him, we couldn't use it on the podcast. It was like pulling the answers out of him over, like, three or four questions to get, like, one quote and stuff like that. But it's just because he's laid-back, he's just very chill about everything. But he does care. And he showed it on the, the pitch this year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. And I would be expecting him to have another summer in League One with the Whitecaps. He's going back at the end of SFU to train with him. So I only imagine we'll see him in League One again next year. So that's good. On the Whitecaps female side for Player of the Year, obviously we only have the, the League One side to base that on just now. And that was a new award we introduced last year which I gave to Geneva Hernandez-Gray. This year for me, Kiera Blundell. Forward from Langley, 10 goals and 6 assists, again, asterisk around the 6, minimum 6 assists, in her 14 regular season games in League 1 BC with the Whitecaps. 3 goals at the Interprovincial Championships, as the Whitecaps also won that trophy as well. She was the leading scorer in League One with Kat Tolney, the new record-setting Kat Tolney of UBC Stroke Not So Mott. She's committed to Arizona State Sun Devils for 2024 NCAA. She's got a very bright future ahead of her as 
I think so much of this girls elite team that we saw this year do. Yeah, honestly, this is a more tough uh, award to give because especially in the way that they performed uh, in the finals mm. uh, in that little final tournament that they had, it was so, so impressive from everyone. I think for me, I probably have to go for Kaylee Hunter. Uh, she came in and just lit it up. Exactly. Just the instant impact that she had and the fact that it, again, a little bit biased also because of what she's been able to achieve. She got called up to the Canadian women's under 17 side. And I think they had the the first friendly a week ago. I think they have a second friendly against Portugal either tomorrow or something like that. Um, And the fact that she's able to have that call up despite you know just coming in and playing as well as she has has uh, been phenomenal and i really enjoy the way that seeing her play she's very dynamic she's tireless she presses really well she's great in possession i think she's definitely one to watch for the white caps uh, as the years go by and with uh, you know hopefully project 8 sports coming in in a couple of years she would be uh, a player i definitely want to keep a close eye on as she will likely turn pro and uh feature for the for the for the pro team in 2025. I mean these girls all have that outlet now and it will be interesting to see what ones want to go still the NCAA route and get the four years of education there who's going to want to maybe go pro to to project eight right away I'd love to see the white caps linking up with say UBC SFU whatever to give the girls still the education whilst playing in Project 8. Mm. And the other thing I would like to see as well, there's a lot of talent there. And like Kaylee's actually from Calgary, so she could go back and play with Calgary Foothills as opposed to Whitecaps. But mm. I'd like to see another BC team just so there's more outlets for those girls to stay local and play. Yeah. Because there's also a lot of good talent in U-sports. SFU's got the players as well. Will they get a sniff of the Whitecaps Project 8 team? And if they don't, if they more just look at their own players, you want them to get a shot. So a team in, in Victoria, a team... I guess there wouldn't be two in the lower mainland, but I, I would like to see a second BC team. And that's maybe pie-in-the-sky thinking to start with, because right now we have three of the eight teams just announced. But if another BC team, like if Pacific said, we want to put a women's team in, or Vancouver Island Wave said, we want to have a team in, I would like them to look at that as opposed to just making sure we've got one in this province, one in this province, one in this province. Hmm. Again, that's the BC bias shown through. So our last award, and we'll let you kick this one off. I'm still mulling this one over. I'm curious as to what you're going to say for it. We always give a white cap to watch for the following year. So usually the ones that I've picked have flopped and they haven't risen to the pressure I've put on them. But if I'm looking at you for what white cap, first team, WFC2, League One, whatever, what white cap are you most excited to watch in 2024, develop or have a, a breakout year or whatever? Ooh, that's a tough one. It is a tough one. That's why I was still mulling it over. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think 
a cop-out answer would be Ali Ahmed mm. because he is all has already achieved so much and I think he is going to only get better in 2024 uh he's he has everything in his locker to be able to do so he just has to work a bit on you know goal contributions stuff like that um but from uh, aside from that looking at some of the players that they have right now I think Levante Johnson is one that I'm looking at because yes I think he got his contract a little too early, but if he can impress in preseason and if he can find a way to either take a crack at at forward or retrain himself to be uh, a good backup to um, a wingback position, then he can maybe feature a little bit more for the team and give players that are Maybe not, you know, Sam at a could be, but maybe a Ryan Raposo run for his money as the backup and feature a little bit more. Um, so I think, yeah, Levante Johnson. Uh, I want to say Pedro Ite because I feel like he has the ability to as well be that star player for the Whitecaps. He loves an early goal. He he, he has that ability to be that clutch player. Just needs a little bit more consistency in it. But yeah, those are the players I'll say. Well, we gave the player to watch in 2022 to Pedro Viti. Last year, it was Ali Ahmed. So at least those two have kind of worked out. I'll give you our list of winners from 2011 up. Caleb Clark, Ben Fisk, Sam Arakugbe, Marco Bustos, Marco Bustos, Alfonso Davies, David Norman, David Norman, Jasser Kamiri. Yeah. And Christian Dahomey. So, I haven't got a good track record in this, so I'm going to bow to your suggestion of Levante Johnson. I think, I am excited to see what he can do. He's going to work really hard pre-season, you know that. And he's shown those flashes this year, that if he can just get that consistency and get those minutes under his belt, I'd love to see him take that that next step and, and be the breakout guy. And who knows, we don't know if Richie Larea is going to be back. Hmm. That obviously muddies the kind of wingers thing because, as Vanny always says, I don't play wingers. So, plays wing backs. Yeah. So, Levante has to adjust his game a little bit as well if he's going to make that breakthrough. Or maybe Vanny just decides to play wingers. I think uh, Hell will freeze over first. Yeah, I think that as well. So, that's the first part of our awards done. Uh, next time, we're going to do Whitecaps Game of the Season. Whitecaps goal of the season, Whitecaps save of the season, and the biggest disappointment of the season. And we'll probably throw a few others in as well. So I'll get Felipe to, if he's not on the show next week, I think next week will be another late night Sunday record. We'll get you to send us your your votes for it anyway, so we'll include it and we'll we'll chat about it on the show. Um, Let us know your votes as well if you disagree with any of what we have just said. That is it for the Whitecaps chat. That is pretty much it for the show. Before we go, though, we are going to bring you this episode's wavelength. I've gone for a a song from 1968. And it's a song about George Best, who died on November 25th, 2005. So it's coming up to the anniversary of his death later this week. 59 years old. Did so much on the pitch partied too hard off it 
leading to his, his drink problems and his kidney issues and everything that liver issues and everything that went through that as well but this is a song by a group called the devoted i love george best there's one guy who really knocks me out he sends me crazy The Devoted, I Love George Best. You can tell that's a song from the 60s. It's just got that whole 60s sound and vibe to it. Something a little bit different for our Wavelength song. I, I don't know how much you've ever seen footage of George Best, Felipe, but he was such a mercurial talent that had the world at his feet, but was just distracted by like wine, women, song, all the things that goes with the trappings of fame and, and footballers, especially in the 60s. Yeah, no, I have watched, I think, a documentary, too, about uh, yeah, a couple George of good ones. Best. Yeah, about his time in Manchester United, obviously his alcohol problems, his addiction issues. Yeah. And I think it's it was the first real story, at least in England, I believe, of the superstar, like a first proper superstar in soccer that, kind of went off the rails and became yeah. subject to like tabloid attention and stuff like that so yeah very very uh good story to read on a little bit sad but yeah fantastic yeah. player from what i from the little i was able to see he he courted the publicity to get himself out there like so many folk do all these folk that want to be reality stars and or, or wags and stuff and it's like they want that publicity then they get it and it's they want left alone but by that point, the papers, especially over in the UK, are never going to leave you alone. But it's a it's a sad cautionary tale, and there's been a few others past him as well. I actually have his autograph. I never saw him play, but at the, t- the twilight end of his career, he played for Hibs in the Scottish Premier. And somebody that I know 
or somebody my mum worked with, his son played in a, a game with George Best and got me his autograph. So I have it that proudly, so at least I have. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. There's a history there. Yeah, and it, it was weird how his career, he just still wanted to play and played over here in NESL. Uh, LA Aztecs in 76, 77, 78, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, then went to Hebs and then went to San Jose Earthquakes. Oh, wow. So he's going to have played against the Whitecaps. He's going to have played in Vancouver as well. Maybe dig wow. out some of those old programs. That's a fun fact. Yeah, so if anyone listened to this, I know we've got people that listen to this show from back in the... that watched the Whitecaps from back in the NASL days. If you saw George Best play here... Let's know what he was like back in those times in the usual places. But that is it for this episode of the show. Just before we go, though, Felipe, where can folk find you online? Plug your excellent podcast and any final thoughts from you. Yeah, well, you can find me on all of the socials at FelipeV underscore FC. Uh, obviously, I have my own CPL podcast, Coast to Coast FC, that even though the season is over, we're still producing content. We have a lot of fun ideas for episodes as the season goes on. And yeah, I'm going to be writing for some new outlets uh, in the coming future that I'll announce in a little bit. And if you're ever in the area for a Burnaby Spartans B team game, you can come and watch me, uh, you know, lose my voice uh, for a VMSL Div 4 team. But uh, yeah, no, thanks so much, Michael, again, for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And hopefully we get to do more positive looking forward uh, encouraging uh episodes uh as this as the off season goes on yeah thank you as always for for joining us and as i always say i would like to have you on a lot more but a recording time is not conducive to having guests on on a regular basis i'm just getting the vmsl division four standings up here and yeah you guys have a lot of work to do Actually, it's not yep. too bad. 11 games played, 6 wins, 1 draw, 4 defeats. Positive goal difference of plus 6. Sitting 5th in the table. That's not too bad. A lot of B... It's not the worst situation in the world, no. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at FC Serbia United C that's on minus 40 and 0 points in your division. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, could be a, a lot, lot worse. Playing up the mountain could be interesting, considering the weather that SFU have had to deal with with the fog coming in. Yeah, that's something that we're going to have to definitely plan for. Yeah, if you can have a game in the fog, though, I'll definitely be up there. But yeah, check out check out the podcast. It's an excellent podcast. I had a lot of fun when I was on a recent episode as well. So if you've got to check out one episode, check that one out. That's the best one, of course. But yeah, check out Coast to Coast FC. I'm Michael McCall. You can follow us on Twitter, AFTN Canada, YouTube.com, AFTN Canada, where we'll have all our VMSL videos and stuff up. If you like the podcast, give us some nice comments on wherever you get your podcasts from. Thumbs up, like them, anything that helps with the algorithms. It's always very much appreciated, as is your continuing listening to this show. We'll be back with another episode soon. But until next time, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget.
the atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. E.F.